This podcast series is part of Hashtag Hour, a new grassroots project that brings together personal stories of all backgrounds to widen discussions on existing and important issues that are often silenced. Interested in the project or want to contribute to our work? Check out www.ourcontext.org. What does it mean to be Patrick Yu? In this episode, Patrick Yu shares with us what it was like growing up in Montreal, Quebec. He's also going to be telling us about his take on the current discourse around diversity and inclusion policies which different organizations are pursuing. I'm Fumi, this is Hasha R. Racism, and this is the story of Patrick Yu. This episode contains explicit language. Sensitive listeners, please be advised. I identify myself first and foremost as Patrick Yu. That is it. If more details are requested, then I am the son of my parents. I am the eldest brother of my beloved siblings. I am a cocky, arrogant, supposedly handsome, um, definitely full of himself man who will absolutely do anything and everything to care for and protect the ones that he loves. That is how I identify myself. So... Considering that this podcast is on the subject of racism, diversity and inclusion and whatnot, I do not see myself per se or like, yes, yes, I am. I am what I am, you know, in terms of uh, East Asian, uh, South Korean, Christian, straight, whatever you want to call it, uh, whatever attributes that you want to put into it. But to me, that is not what identified me, identifies me. I am identified by who I am and not what I am. Patrick Yu grew up in Outremont, a neighborhood in central Montreal, Quebec, a province that is primarily French-speaking. He says he considers himself to be lucky and fortunate to have been born and to grow up in such a multicultural environment. Growing up in Montreal, I mean, there's a lot of factors that come into play that I would say that, once again, that I was very much lucky and fortunate to have been born in the area, in the circumstances, and also in the era in which I grew up. For instance, I went to a school called uh, the Collège Stanislas, which is actually a private French school uh, here in Utremont. And by the way, just uh, parenthesis, my parents did not send me there because it was a private French school or whatnot. It just happened to be three minutes from my house. Okay, that's the only reason, really. Right? They had like my parents had no clue whatsoever. Uh, they like you know while they were do- while they were building their life and um, you know when they they were doing a grocery store, they, st- they still have that grocery store. But um, one of the clients just happened to be the admissions officer at and that's essentially how I got there. So anyways, all that to say that I did not go there because it was a private blah, 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 blah. No, it was just pure coincidence. And that's once again, it comes back to the theme where I was once again, I felt lucky and fortunate to have been given such opportunities. And because there, it was truly a melting pot of cultures. I mean, there were, there were Quebecers, obviously, Caucasian, French speaking. Uh, there were French people from France uh, because it is from the French system. British people as well, Latinos, Lebanese people, Africans, Asians, Hindus, Greeks, Christians, Muslims, Catholics, Anglophones, Francophones, you name them. However, obviously, like at that time growing up, especially would it be middle school or high school, you know, I mean, I think uh, we all have, um, we're discovering per se, like on the theme of sexu- sexuality, if you don't mind me saying, we're all discovering like, you know, what is our sexual orientation? Okay, so I don't think anybody came out of the closet. Uh, we eventually found out later on, I think, 
all that to say, like, yeah, in, in any case, it comes back to the team where we weren't all necessarily close. Like every single year had approximately 180 students in middle school and 120 students in high school divided in class of 30. And although we weren't all, you know, particularly close, like we all had our group of friends and whatnot, you know, we were, we all respected each other. We all appreciate each other for who we were and not what we were. I mean, the description, obviously, okay, like, you know, if there's like three Patricks uh, in the school, for example, you'll probably say, well, Patrick D, Patrick D Asian, okay, or, or Patrick U in that sense. So yeah, no, and uh, I was, once again, very much lucky to grow in such a multicultural environment. Um, my group of boys, per se, um, excuse me for saying it that way, uh, but my group of friends, um, to me, at least, uh, the best group of guys that that a boy could ask for when he's when he's growing up, uh, friends, mentors, and whatnot. I mean, we we call ourselves the Bros because because it was an actual team name for sports. Believe it or not, yes, we were that cocky. Yes, we were that like you know full of ourselves. The whole shebang, you name it. We gladly admit it. Um, there were two French guys, there were two Quebecers, one Greek guy, one Pole, one Bulgarian, two Lebanese, one Korean, and we were coached by a black guy. So, I mean, it doesn't get much more multicultural than that, you know, like it's, uh, we're pretty up there. And once again, like, you know, we didn't never really, like, we made jokes occasionally, okay, like, you know, we call the Lebanese guy, the guys, the oil kings, okay, because let's face it, okay, in the Middle East, okay, like, you know, there's a lot of oil and whatnot, but, um, but yeah, like, uh, it's... We never were defined by what we were. Once again, we were always defined by who we were, by the, by our character, by our personality, not by our physical traits. Patrick Yu says he can only remember one vivid instance where he experienced racism in high school. There was this one instance of racism, which I clearly remember. As I was going to school, um, there were these three kids who were on the direction of the other school, which, with, which, by the way, we had a rivalry. Okay, like we you know we trashed them in soccer all the time, proudly. But uh, yeah, I don't know if that came into play or anything. Okay, but anyways, we all we all said like you know those guys. Okay, and and they they said like you know those guys. Okay, and um, so like I remember these three kids walking, and it was just one of them. And I don't think the other, and I don't quite remember the reaction of the other two, but they didn't say anything from what I remember. So they probably knew that you know it wasn't exactly the smartest thing to say. But one of the kids, okay, like you know, as I was passing by, and I screamed, "Hey, Ching Chang Chong!" You know, I'm sure as Asians, everybody has heard it at least once in their lives. And oh well, I didn't react because to be honest with you, I was shocked. I think that was the first time that I had faced such an episode of racism. Or at least, like, you know, that was clearly verbally stated. But I was like, holy shit. But once again, at school, for example, at my school, I never... And that was like when I was like, what, 11, 12 years old? Late elementary school or early early middle school? So to a certain extent, you could call it like fairly late in one's life because did I know that it existed? Of course I did. Like, you know, we've learned about uh, where to be, like, you know, all the problems with uh, segregation. Um, I don't think we had touched on apartheid or uh, or World War II and, uh, and Nazism and the persecution of Jews. Um, with all due respect, once again, and I, and I apologize immediately if I touch a sensitive core to any of the listeners, but we all knew that discrimination existed. Okay, for example, like being gay at the time, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, okay, like, you know, you, you you were not gay. You do not come out of the closet kind of thing. It's illustrated in sports today. Like, you know, if we look at uh, what it be, let's say the English Premier League, when was the first time that a gay man, a gay player actually came out of the closet? 
I don't think it was that long ago. And if they were in what it be the 90s or whatever, it was maybe one to two or actually probably just one. And even today, even in the Premier League, I mean, if, if you look at the proportions, I don't know what exactly, I don't know what's the proportion, um, like the percentage of men who are homosexual, but if you do the math, okay, like, you know, there can't be just one gay out of the, let's say there's 20 teams, a squad of 25 players, okay, 20, that's 500 players in the league, not counting the academy, not counting the reserves, 25 per team times 20 teams, 500. It is impossible that there is just one, like statistically speaking. So all that to say at that time, like, you know, we all knew that, like, you know, that segregation or whatnot, uh, that discrimination, it existed, like, especially for whatever wasn't considered acceptable, socially acceptable or cool for that matter, especially at that age. So, yeah. So, I mean, I was, I was, I was shocked, but then again, it's like, whatever they're, they're clearly going to that other school. So, you know, they're, it's those guys. They're idiots. Okay. Like, so I just, I just put it on that. Okay. And I just moved on. But, uh, I must admit that, yes, I still do remember it. Does it hurt? Absolutely not. Whatever. Cause once again, you know, I've, I've evolved. I'm different from when I was what 11, 12, 13 years old. And, but yeah, like it's, that was my first instance. And, um, yeah. According to Patrick Yu, they raise a relatively small community of Koreans, mainly first and second generation immigrants in Montreal. However, he says he did not hang out with them because he didn't necessarily feel like he belonged there. I would say that I did not grow up around the Korean community. The only Korean community that I recall was at church on Sundays and Korean school on Saturday mornings, which resulted in me missing all the Saturday morning cartoons, for which I still blame my parents. Um, But uh, yeah, no, apart from that, listen, and even then, I mean... Growing up, um, I felt I always felt like a black sheep amongst the Korean community because I did not like all, all the other Koreans. They usually congregated towards the same district, the same neighborhoods. Okay, whether it be uh, in Montreal, NDG, Notre Dame de Grasse, Brossard, wherever, simply because that's you know you need that sense of community, especially when, which is perfectly understandable when you come from another country, especially a country that is so different, the culture that is so different. We're not talking about coming from you know, whether it be France to Montreal, okay, we're talking about, like, two languages that have absolutely nothing to do with each other. Like, I understand why people would want to congregate and get together with people that they know of, of cultures of which they can understand, and especially a language with whom they can communicate. Because let's face it, when you're here and you don't speak the language, it gets lonely quick. So in that respect, I mean, the Korean community here in general, once again, I'm generalizing. Okay. It's not, uh, there's obviously, uh, obviously different cases. Like, uh, they are, you can usually find them, whether it be in the Brussels, the NDGs, the wherever they are. Um, uh, I don't see the West Islands. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know. In my case, that's why I say that apart from the Saturday, Saturday school and the church would total the, like four hours max, right? In a week. I didn't really grow up in the Korean community at all. I always see myself as a black sheep. And because my Korean was at the time so bad, because let's face it, at home, okay, it's always the same thing that you say, did you eat? Like, you know, was it good? Okay, like, did you sleep well? Okay, good night. Hello. It was very, very limited. Like my Korean vocabulary or my Korean grammar or my speech wasn't uh, wasn't very developed. So even at Korean school and, uh, and church, I would uh, primarily speak in English. And even then, the culture was very, very different. Like all of these other kids, okay, they hang, they they hung out with each other because why? They spoke Korean. Like I was born and raised here. Them, they were usually immigrants. Like they barely spoke a word of English, let alone French. So in that respect, uh, the Korean community here, it's uh, it's very 
close in itself and is very, very centered around the church. Korea is, uh, believe it or not, a primarily Christian country now. For better or for worse, uh, well, that's uh, that's another topic for another day. But that being said, like in the case of my family, we put our livelihood first. It was because we didn't, it's not that we didn't count on the Korean community, but like we knew that it wasn't our market. So we lived in Outremont because the flat that we lived, it was literally a two minute walk from the store, from our business. So it was, in our case, we put our livelihood in front instead of whether it be any sense of community, because once again, there are good things and there are bad things. And we're living in Montreal. We're not living in Seoul. So anyways, all that to say that, yeah, no, the, I honestly can understand why some communities seem unreachable because let's say Koreans, if you go into downtown Montreal, the Asians, they're all with each other, Korean, Chinese, whatever, they're, they're always with each other. In very rare instances, do you see like, you know, multicultural groups or whatnot, and it, which is understandable because once again, it comes back to the point of you can connect easier with what you know. If you're white, chances are you're going to connect with somebody that is white as well. If you're French, it's... Okay, maybe French is a bad example because, you know, the French hate each other. <laughs> Parisians and, Mar- and Marseille, they hate each other. Anyways, you get my point. But, like, uh, let's say um, Haitians will hang out with Haitians and and whatnot. It's uh, I can understand it. I can understand why people see these communities that way and why the white community may may think that these people are not interested in integrating into our community i can understand it it's a two-way street like whenever i'm walking downtown with my sister for example okay at least we're just two but can you imagine a group of like six seven people walking as a gang okay and like it's I can honestly understand it. And it's not the same as white people walking in that same number of people because it's, with all due respect, I mean, it's a white country, or primarily, at least. Okay, we're not going to go into the history of the aboriginals, uh, which is, by the way, a very hot topic here right now. But yeah, like, I can understand it. And I can understand that, once again, that they feel that we do not want to integrate. But that is, once again, it's understanding and it's open-mindedness and it's context. It's not that we don't. It's that it's freaking hard to do so. Patrick Yu says his experiences and engagement with issues around racism and discrimination differ from what his parents experienced due to various factors. My parents came here, well, my father came here originally, and he didn't speak a word of English, a word of French. He had not a cent to his name. He had no network. So, I mean, you can imagine like the situation. Like you go to a new country, you don't speak the language. In this case, languages. You don't know the culture and you go there with hoping for a better life. That's why you go there. And as he was um, getting older and building everything that he built, and don't get me wrong, okay, like my, my parents have worked incredibly hard and we live very, very comfortably. Like, you know, they're dirty, typical immigrant success story. But that being said, like, you know, it's like they were discriminated. My father was often called you fucking chink at the market in the grocery, like, you know, where he would go, go get his, go get his, uh, his products that he would sell at the grocery store and any form of insult or whatnot that you can imagine he faced it. Little did those people know was that, was that my dad was a, uh, black belt Dan three of Taekwondo, black belt Dan two of Kung Fu. Uh, so basically he essentially kicked their asses. 
especially when like you know when they were fighting over uh over can you believe people in the market at 4 a.m okay fighting over like that box of strawberries okay because they want that for their store okay and they had to they had to figure it out with their fists right like that that was a different era okay we are not talking about the same thing um so yeah so basically like you know little did they know and that most certainly helped and unfortunately if it had to it had to come to violence which thankfully my dad won but uh, all that to say like you get my point it's like sometimes you have to impose respect and if i'm not mistaken ever since like like there were guys that would say uh yeah like uh yeah fuck you okay i'm gonna i'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck your wife okay and all, all that shit okay the ones who knew my dad they were like oh fuck oh shit everybody like you know call an ambulance like right now okay it's like we're, we're screwed Okay, they all knew, and and unfortunately had to come to that. It had to come to fists. It had to come through, you know, dislocated shoulders and joints and whatever and scars. Obviously, okay, like uh, for it to impose respect per se, which I don't think a, a number of people they just decided not to mess with my dad, and I don't mess with him either, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a pity that it had come to that. But once again. It wasn't because he was called a chink that he raised his fists. It was because he was going after that box of strawberries. And because they insulted his wife. They insulted my mother. It wasn't because of, like, you know, like, did he care that people called him a chink? Meh. Like, whatever. Okay? Like, my business is going to be more successful than yours. Okay? So, basically, you can go fuck yourself. It's a pity that people use these insults or whatnot to try to provoke, to try to do whatever. And I understand because, you know, it's like war per se. Okay. Like, you know, you try to provoke, get, you try to get an edge, you try to get a mental edge, you try to like make them lose their cool because whoever loses their cool is more often than not whoever's going to lose. But it's a pity that it had, it had come to that to gain respect. And people would call him a chink. People would call him a dog eater. People would call him any name that you'd like because... One, he looked Asian, which he is, obviously. But two, because he spoke, whether it be English or French, with a substantial accent. Like, French, he unfortunately doesn't speak it as well as he could. He, he does. People say that he speaks well. But uh, he often says that uh, when he doesn't understand, he's like, uh, comprends pas. Which means je ne comprends pas. Basically, like, you know, they don't, they don't understand. And, uh, you know, he's... But all that to say that, yeah, the language barrier, that plays a big factor. If we compare that to my scenario, to my circumstances, once again, I speak English with a, per with a perfect accent, if I'm not mistaken. Correct me if I'm wrong. Je parle français comme... Je parle français comme des questions parisiens. Je peux aussi parler français comme un Québécois, par contre. Like, you know, you, you get my point. It's adaptation. So people no longer see me as the chink or the Korean or whatever. They see me as Patrick Yu. Anyways, all that to say, it's once again, it's a very, very, we're, we live in a di completely different era. Patrick Yu reflects upon a recent incident at work revolving around making the workplace more diverse and inclusive. I'm on the board of directors of a student organization at HEC Montréal. And recently they were thinking about doing a something for diversity and inclusion like creating a project for that, like, you know, to promote that or to raise the discussions and whatnot. And to state that, you know, we are diverse, that we are inclusive, that, you know, we... Blah, 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 blah. I almost lost my shit. Because once again, I reiterated the point is that if you bring this up, like, I'm all for it, don't get me wrong, but be very careful as to the how you're going to do it. 
And that ties into my to uh, what I would say about my relation to race and racism. Does it exist? Yes. Is it spoken about? Not necessarily. It's still taboo. What do I believe in? Believe about that? Like if we use that, that example, the anecdote in terms of how you do it. Now, if you start hiring people based on their looks, their gender, their sexual orientation, their religion, whatever, you're not helping the cause. Like I literally told them, you guys better not have a freaking quota of like gay people in the association or black people or people of color or whatnot. Now that is racism. That organization of which I'm on the BOD, I told them that to your credit, you have never recruited anybody based on such criteria. You have based, you have always recruited people based on merit and potential. And that's how it, how it should be. What I believe and here's the thing. I understand why organizations are doing it right now. I understand why they're putting it out there, why they're changing their colors, the, the logo, their logos is color scheme to the gay pride flag or whatnot. I get that. Okay. You want to state that, you know, you're not against it. Okay. But be very careful in how you explain how you're for it. The reason being is that once again, I unfortunately believe that because of this discrimination, these so-called discriminated people have developed a sense of entitlement. With all due respect, and it's in by no means the generality. How many times have you heard a black person that can use a race card? Are you saying this because I'm black? No, I'm saying you're an idiot because you're an idiot. And funnily enough, I've never heard that from any of my circle. I've always seen that in movies. I've always seen that in shows. And to be quite honest with you, those things are not helping. They're funny as hell. But like, let's say in Rush Hour, if I'm not mistaken, okay, like, you know, in Rush Hour 2, we get a movie with Chris Tucker and... Uh, Chris, uh, was it Chris Tucker? Anyways, Chris Tucker and Jackie Chan. Hilarious movie. However, okay, like, you know, how many times, okay, does the guy go, uh... You saying that because I'm black? Dude, no! You're just an incompetent police cop. What do you want me to... Policeman, what do you want me to tell you? It's like... Anyways, all that to say... The, the casino scene, basically. Okay, it's like, why am I getting different chips, okay, whereas everybody's getting, like, you know, hundreds, okay, and you're giving me 50s. And by the way, he knew full well what he was doing. He was, he was that, he, just put, put into context, uh, like, you know, he, he was using the race car just to create a ruckus so that Jackie Chan could actually infiltrate, infiltrate the back. All that to say. Yeah, no, I believe honestly that it, it should be based on merit. And you want to know what? I prefer nepotism to reverse racism. I prefer being hired because I know the guy. Okay. And you want to know what? Okay. We always say in business, net, it's not, it's not a question of what you know, it's a question of who you know. Yeah, that is true. Because let's face it, when they put, a, put up a job posting and there's 300 applicants, chances are if an employee inside the company puts in a CV on top of the pile, okay, telling HR, I want you to have a look at this, HR is actually going to have a look at it instead of throwing the 299 others into the garbage because nothing's interesting. I honestly prefer nepotism to racism or reverse racism rather. But all that to say, it should be based on a merit. It should be based on merit. It should be based on how you present yourselves because there's equality of opportunity and there's equality of outcome. And let me tell you, the equality of opportunity, yes, that, okay, it's whoever opens the door. In this case, the corporation, the governments, whatever, all the people that are hiring, they open the door. But the candidate, the individual has to be the one walking through that door. And if that person is unable to walk through that door saying, oh, they're going to discriminate me because uh, I'm X, Y, Z, because I'm Asian, because I'm Hindu, because I'm whatever. I'm sorry. That's on you. That's not on them. So do not blame them. You're the one who didn't go.
And when you go, it is on you to sell yourself. It is on you to prove, to have to overcome those things. I'll give you my example. As I mean, as you've noticed, okay, like, you know, like once again, I've really stated the fact that I believe that people see me as Patrick Yu. Not the, the charming, the brooding, straight Korean guy who looks like an Asian version of Bruce, or at least thinks that he's an Asian version of Bruce Wayne. You get my point. Jokes aside, I make sure that people don't see me as Asian first. They may see me that way at the beginning because they don't know me. Understandable. No problem. But after that, he's an Asian guy or whatever, or he's a graduate from SSC, he's a graduate from McGill, or you know he's an Anglophone. That, I have it erased real quick. And you know who controls that? Me. The impression that I give on them is dependent on me. The interview, it's not dependent on them. Yes, they make a decision based on information that you give them. So all that to say, once again, my relation to race and racism, does it exist? Yeah. But it's not just because of the offender. It is sometimes because of the defendant. So... Once again, I truly believe that it is a two-way street. Must we speak about it? Must we raise it up? I do believe so. But it's also a question. It's a question of communication. It's a question of understanding. And it's a question of change of freaking mindset. How many, like, I'm sorry to say, but I am so sick and tired of people, like, you know, claiming things just because they feel that it is due to them. I can give you another example that has nothing to do with race. How many children believe that they will inherit their family business just by right and not by merit? How is that different? If I have kids and I have a business, my children will not inherit it simply by right. I would rather sell my business rather than see it go down the drain. And perhaps that's just me being ruthless. But I honestly believe in that. So if we bring it back to racism, it's the same freaking concept. All the people with power per se. And once again, I'm putting like some big quotation marks and bold font size 32. Okay. They will open the door. They will give you that opportunity. You have to walk through it and you have to claim your space. Patrick Yu has the following to say about what he thinks it takes to be anti-racist. Remembering that we are human, period. That's all. I'll leave it at that. Because I don't think that anything else needs to be said when it comes to that. Because we are, once again, race is a subsection of human being. We're not going to the source right now. We're looking at repairing the second or third floor when as we completely forgot about the foundation. Go back to the foundation. Go back to us being human. If we are to be defined by what we are, then you want what I'd rather we be to be defined by human beings instead of black, white, Asian, gay, lesbian, whatever. That's... Yeah, where, where would I like the discussion to move forward? Well, let's take a... Like, I'm, I'm going to sound like a freaking consultant. I'm so sorry about this. But let's take a step back and look at the real problem. Because we forgot where we came from. I honestly feel that we forget that we are human beings. That we are part of the homo... I don't remember if it's genus or whatever. Um, like the branch. Okay, the homo sapiens, uh, erectus and whatnot. Okay, like, you know, we are, we are human beings before being Asian, white, black or whatnot. You and I have both have blood flowing in our veins. And as far as I know, okay, your blood is red. My blood is red, right? Okay, as far as I know, okay, I don't think your blood is green. You have bones. You're made of muscle. Okay, you're made of tissue. You have two eyes. You have one nose. You have eyebrows. You got a mouth. You're a human being for fuck's sake. 
and you have a mind you speak you may have a different culture you may have a different mindset but that's fantastic that's what that's what makes the beauty of human beings the fact that we are different the fact that we think differently the fact that we have different opinions because that's how we grow because that's how we become better you can find articles books and videos patrick you recommends people to take a look at on racism on our website www.ourcontext.org you can also find the transcript of this episode on our website in english french german and italian If you have a personal story to share, reach out to us on our website, Instagram, or Twitter. You can find us by typing in hashtag our underscore racism. This is Fumi and hashtag our racism. See you in two weeks. This episode was produced and edited by me, Fumi. Introductory score by Luca Nioi. Other music by Pete Morris, Crescent Music, and Fugu Vibes. A big thank you to Patrick Yu for his time in sharing with us thought-provoking and valuable reflections on this issue.